0: Following last episode on fetishization, we now turn our focus to a more specific experience of consent and the lack thereof, as experienced by queer and gender non-conforming folks, especially trans-feminine people of color. When we think of queer spaces, especially here in London, we think of gay bars that are dominated by cis-white gay men. So if we refer to consent in queer spaces, we often limit the conversation to their voices and experiences. This is not to say that consent is more important in some spaces or to some than to others, but rather it is to highlight the inequality of whose experience is taken serious in to be included in considerations of consent. This inequality is exemplified through a sort of non-consensual erasure of gender non-conforming identity and moreover of the right and access to certain services, freedoms, cultural capital and so on that is linked to identity categories. As such I would say that the epistemic injustice of who can make themselves known rather than being situated as an already known other is also an injustice that denies body and gender autonomy. This episode therefore also serves to challenge the notion that consent is a matter of privilege. While having one's consent respected is in many situations linked to the relative privilege of one's identity, consent shouldn't be tied to privilege. To undo this is to normalize asking for consent in the everyday. To respect a person's bodily autonomy is to respect people within the realms they set themselves for their lives. It means respecting gender as a multitude of expressions, feelings, behaviors, ways of being that exist within dynamics of power. The following testimony by a SOA student reflects this and goes into more depth of what consent in queer spaces looks like. If you're not a trans person, this episode might help you question the ways even well-meaning comments and gestures are often invasive, how cis queerness is set as a gender non-conforming norm, and how healthcare systems systematically question and deny consent to both trans and intersex people. If you're a trans person, you may find some of the content triggering, so be aware of your own well-being while listening.
1: I'm a student at SOAS who is both trans and a person of colour. I'm also a Muslim and the month of Ramadan can be very isolating for queer Muslims and trans Muslims especially. Um, The reason I'm writing the script is because I do think these aren't huge things, I do think these aren't difficult things to change, but people can make people's experiences at SOAS and in London and generally better for trans people, especially trans people of colour and trans Muslims. Um, It's important that we're having this conversation about consent in queer spaces because this really happens. But when we have this conversation, there's a few things we have to consider. Firstly, what is consent? Secondly, what or whom is queer? And thirdly, what is a queer space? For the first question, I don't want to talk exclusively about sexual consent because I don't think sexual and other forms of consent are completely separate. Sexual consent won't always be upheld if other forms of consent are not also normalised. The consent culture that we talk about in consent workshops at SOAS cannot be built without addressing how different aspects of society disregard consent. So what or whom is queer. I think every discussion on queer issues should note this but queer does not just mean white cis gay men. They're the most visible, take up the most space and are the most accepted in society but that doesn't make them the most queer or the only queer people. I'm going to talk a lot about the consent of trans people especially trans feminine people. Most discussions around queer issues homogenize queer people in a way which erases and therefore fails to improve the experiences of trans and non-binary people and assumes that all queer people are white and non-Muslim. That's the image most people have when they hear the word queer, but it's not an accurate one, so I'm focusing on the people and issues which are often pushed to the margins in these discussions, if not completely ignored. There will be some overlap here with intersex issues. So thirdly, um, what is a queer space? Queer spaces can mean two things primarily. One, physical spaces such as buildings which are reserved for, or at least prioritised queer people. And two, the interpersonal interactions between queer people. These two types of spaces can share similar boundaries, or be an extension of the other type. So the points I want to make can apply to both of these kinds of spaces. So the most obvious forms of violation of consent of queer people, including in queer spaces, are things like touching trans women's breasts to see if they feel real. What people, including those who occupy queer spaces, often forget is that the violence that is experienced by trans women and trans feminine people more broadly happens in queer spaces too. This is one of the most extreme results of a general disrespect for trans people and a disregard for their humanity. Is a mixture of a type of fascination, which isn't innocent. That's something I'll come back to. And also a sense of entitlement. There are less extreme examples. I've had people who are queer but not trans feminine ask if they could give me a makeover or do my makeup, including like my lipstick, which is obviously very intimate. And we weren't exactly close friends. Uh, Some people have asked on more than one occasion, despite discomfort. Uh, which was overstepping my boundaries. I also had unwarranted advice. Things like, you should wear this makeup or these clothes, and that's when I haven't asked. It's humanizing and we're treated as accessories. Not not to mention that it implies we're ugly or bad at makeup, neither of which you should point out, even if you think they were true. It's all very condescending and infantilizing. It also reflects how the consent of children is seen as unimportant to people. Then there's being pressured into dressing or presenting in a certain way by cis queer people, as has happened to me in a clothes swap. The The irony here is that these kind of events are supposed to cater... Uh, to trans and non-binary people and centre to them since they're made to feel uncomfortable when shopping for clothes which better match their gender identity. This again does not respect the boundaries of trans people and respecting boundaries is a central aspect of consent culture. These comments and suggestions around the way trans feminine people present are made in a way which sets up cis queer people as an authority as if, as if to say you have my permission to wear this. What's missing here is any real understanding of or concern for the increased level of violence and stigma which trans feminine people especially those who are black or of colour face when presenting as more feminine. The stigma and violence isn't absent in queer spaces and trans women are often ridiculed, questioned and shamed by queer cis people for presenting in the way which best matches their gender identity. Cis queer people, and particularly the white cis people, need to recognise their privilege in being able to perform drag for example and have the gender they are performing for fun but do not identify with without exposing themselves to violence, while trans people's gender identity is not respected and their expression is heavily policed. This policing comes in the form of both pressuring trans women into performing femininity to an elevated degree to which cis women are not expected to and in a way approved by other people and through stigma and violence when trans people do have a more pronounced gender expression. So to come back to this ideal fascination what I mean is fetishizing and excitement around people's bodies without necessarily respecting the people whose bodies are found attractive. It's worth mentioning now that attraction does not always entail respect which is something that a lot of men have a hard time understanding. It's what makes them believe that catcalling various other forms of harassment count as a compliment. To understand the fetishization of intersex people in particular, we have to remember that the lack of medical consent, especially during childhood, means that a lot of intersex people have a huge amount of trauma around their bodies. This is something that queer people will have to navigate when with intersex people and should be attentive to what specific boundaries of these people are. In a similar but also opposite way, trans people may be dysphoric about their bodies which makes them uncomfortable, seen without their clothes or doing certain acts. This is especially the case where despite their enthusiastic and informed consent to take medication and in some cases surgery so that they're more comfortable with their bodies, trans people have been denied this life-saving treatment. I say similar yet opposite here because a lot of the procedures that trans and intersex people go through are the same. Hormone replacement therapy is an example of this. But it's opposite because intersex people's consent is often not sought for these treatments which are largely irreversible. People's fascination with trans and intersex people's bodies may make them overly eager to get into bed with trans and intersex people to the point that they disregard their consent. For queer people in particular who are neither trans, non-binary nor intersex, there is the risk of using trans, non-binary and intersex people in a way of exploring their sexuality or queerness. In a lot of queer spaces, there's also an expectation for people to drink. By queer culture, people often mean bar culture or drinking culture. Alcohol is so ingrained into British society already, which is easy to forget. And this is even more so the case with the LGBTI plus community. The first suggestion, which was, again, unsolicited advice, that a cis lesbian friend made when I told her I was trans, was to go to a gay bar. When I told her no, she kept pressing me and trying to convince me. The fact that a lot of queer events happen in bars and clubs is part of the problem. This is partly due to a carelessness on the part of event organisers and people who buy property for queer people, but partly just due to circumstance. Historically, queer bars and clubs have been the only places where we have had to ourselves. However, this excludes many queer Muslims, people with certain conditions, and anyone who doesn't want to drink for whatever reason. I say this without any bitterness towards people who use or create these spaces, as is important. That they do. We just need to make sure that we don't create environments where people feel pressured to drink so that we actually welcome everyone who is queer. This is especially important during the holy month of Ramadan, as many queer Muslims will be fasting and may want to avoid alcohol in these kinds of spaces. Where queer Muslims are not supported by other Muslims, queer people need to make sure that they do support them. Then there's the questions, the invasive questions. As I started off with a reminder, queer people are very diverse. There are cis queer people on the one hand and trans and non-binary queer people on the other. And there's no real reason to think cis queer people will be better towards trans people than other cis people are except maybe because of their proximity to trans people having shared the same spaces, which is partly due to this homogenous view of queer people which I just complained about. Saying cis queer people should have a better sensitivity to trans issues doesn't necessarily mean that they do. This can be seen very clearly in the questions they ask. This should be obvious, but asking trans or non-binary people if they want to have HRT, have surgery or wear certain clothes is not something that should be done without knowing the person very well. These are incredibly personal questions and are based on an oversimplified understanding of what a trans or non-binary person is, and should want or look like. The diversity in queer people that I mentioned means that trans and non-binary people have different needs and unique relationships to gender. These questions are even more inappropriate when asked shortly after meeting a person or immediately after learning that they're trans or non-binary, as was the case with me. The likelihood is, if this person wanted you to know these things, they would tell you in their own time. So to summarize, the violence, including sexual violence, experienced by trans people must be situated in the broader context of disrespect towards trans people. It often comes from a place of fetishization and a sense of entitlement. This fetishization can make trans as well as intersex people extremely uncomfortable as both are denied ownership over their bodies. Comparing the medical consent of trans people to that of intersex people, especially for children, exposes the hypocrisy of society and the arbitrariness of the sex binary, where largely irreversible changes to the bodies of intersex children are made by medical professionals without seeking informed consent. Similar treatments are denied to trans children who are enthusiastically, sometimes desperately, consenting on the in dis, on the disingenuous grounds that they are not old enough to give consent to change the way their bodies will look. We must lend greater support to attempts at improving medical services for trans people. This can include trans healthcare advocates such as Action for Trans Health, which has a presence in London, The work of intersex activists in fighting the treatment of intersex children by medical services and professionals is also important in creating a society where the consent of trans and intersex people is taken seriously both inside and outside of queer spaces. Another way that consent is ignored in queer spaces is through unwarranted advice, for example on the expression of trans and non-binary people, especially trans feminine people. Cis queer people can sometimes unintentionally try to control the way trans and non-binary people look. Addressing this entails cis queer people having greater awareness of the positionality, instead of assuming authority on issues of expression, and they must be centering trans people more. A type of consent which is rarely talked about and is and is especially relevant to queer spaces is the pressure to drink alcohol. This can make queer spaces exclu- exclusive or inaccessible for queer Muslims in particular. In creating new queer spaces or planning events for queer people. We must ensure that everyone feels welcome. And finally, the questions that people ask trans and non-binary people are invasive and make a lot of assumptions about trans and non-binary people. This is another example of the sense of entitlement I mentioned earlier, this time entitlement to knowledge of intimate details about the lives of trans and non-binary people. Consent means having greater respect for the privacy and boundaries of trans and non-binary people.
0: That was an anonymous testimony. Next, we will hear from Carlos of Mari on how interpersonal and physical spaces intersect. So we have here with us in the studio, Carlos. Would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Hi, my name is Carlos Mauricio Rojas. I'm a spoken word poet, a writer. I'm a DJ and co-founder of Marigumbia, which is a queer Latinx collective and a dance club night um, that I run with my creative partner, Danny. And we actually are coming out of a two-year hiatus um, where we've just been sort of concentrating on ourselves now we're back to creating parties um, pushing for full accessibility as well as creating safe spaces for QTB POC in London
0: So as a DJ and sort of being situated in a lot of like queer nightlife in London, do you think or do you feel that there's an issue with consent or people asking for consent do you experience um, or do you see as a DJ I guess um, a lot of uh, harassment in these spaces?
2: Um, I mean, as a DJ, when I'm actually DJing on the night, it's quite hard for me to actually kind of see what's happening outside of that because I'm right. busy mixing as well. For me, as a DJ, too, kind of like, you know, you really get into the music, you have to really kind of concentrate. And so when you get that feeling, you're sort of buzzing off the crowd. So it is kind of like hard to actually sort of see that happen unless it's very obvious and it's quite close but i can speak about how i've experienced harassment as a dj and people breaking my boundaries of consent um people tend to believe uh, they have this idea that they are entitled to you especially as an artist working like uh, asking for requests thinking it's okay to just come up and touch you while you're you know or even come up behind you which um People don't understand that, like you are working, and that you're actually you are actually facilitating the whole evening or event through the music you're playing, Mm -hmm. and so that's actually quite a damaging thing, and it does have that knock-on effect. I feel feeds onto the kind of the rest of the night because it's like if one person is harassing and breaching people's consent and space then they're going to be, you know, to one other person, they're going to do it to other people. Do you know what I mean?
0: Their conception of boundaries is is, is very skewed, obviously, and Mm. they don't really respect people uh, who might, um, regardless whether they're drinking or not, who Mm. have very different boundaries. And uh, you, as someone who doesn't drink, um, do you feel like there's um, there's sort of a a disconnect um, between people who are, like, drinking, and uh, do they have a more, um, I guess, more entitled presence to the mm, space?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's really it's really dependent on the person, actually. I think it's quite an individual experience because, um, I mean, alcohol um, inhibits people, for one, and it's a depressant. Um, so depending on someone's mental state, they're going to behave or react differently to a space and to other people um so it's actually very hard um and we have to constantly learn how to counteract and respond to people who do because there are people who will get drunk and then like disrespect boundaries and you know and that has to be dealt with and in the past where i've dealt with that in places of work as well because i also work at a bar in previous places it's been very much been quite a difficult thing to negotiate and that's also dependent on like who else you're working with in terms of believing in what people have to say is particularly queer and trans people and it's a thing of privilege as well like if you're going to tell someone who's either your manager or someone who's security and they're they kind of go against you and let people back in after you've kicked them out then it's like a gaslighting that happens to you in other cases now actually where i work at the chateau in um camberwell in south london um which uh unfortunately is, um, isn't is wheelchair accessible, but the way we as a collective, the people I work with, we're all people who have been, like, fucked over by other places. So we've kind of found each other in this space and are starting to grow and learn from each other and actually, like, implement, like, ways of, like, dealing with people in a safe way that's safe for us as well as them. Because, of course, people don't realize what they're doing a lot of the time when they're drunk. But like if they're breaching um if they're breaching people's like notions of consent, their boundaries, um and if they especially if they're being very aggressive, then it's just like we we have to kick them out. There's there's no question about it. It's like and and with other people, people do respond more in the thing of like, okay, they've say for example touch someone and that person's responded and then they don't know how to react to that so then they kind of like cry in a corner or whatever and you know if they've been abandoned by their friends there are so many different narratives that go on in the nightclub so there has to be a lot of care to be considered um, when dealing with people who are really drunk as well and also making sure that people who are being harassed are believed um, and also get that kind of equal amount of care as well if not more, depending on the situation.
0: So throughout your experience with Maricumbia, um how have you sort of experienced safeguarding and um, how you think how are you thinking to take this forward in your in your future events?
2: Um well I've learned so much in the years I've been doing this party, and especially from uh, Danny, uh, who I do maricumbia with. Um like definitely, like was very ignorant to a lot of things before. As someone, as a privileged person who is, can, I'm able to access a space much more easier. It's been very challenging as well because London, as big and supposedly developed as a city as it is, it is hugely inaccessible, particularly for wheelchair access. And in the winter time, Danny has to use a wheelchair, so we have to face um many hurdles in terms of like gaining work as well with that so when we do our own parties we really do our best to try and be as transparent as possible about the venues that we are playing at and about our intentions for the night as well so we try to add as much detail as we can um about wheelchair access whether the the, uh, venues are or if they're not about gender neutral toilets and like and even other other things as as simple as like um smell as well like things of how like you you know people experience the space um because there are so many things as well that like we kind of um, many of us don't experience because like Mm -hmm. of our abilities and our bodies and those of us who like experience things like spaces that are a bit more um, that will make people more vulnerable or are are more harmful in um, different ways there's just so many different levels to it Um, and it's difficult speaking about it again as well because it's like I'm talking more about language Um, when I say like it's difficult speaking about it because it's like also trying to find that and figure that out and language is constantly changing and we have to constantly create new words in order to create this uh, accessible space as well.
0: I think one of one of the interesting things you you mentioned were intentions. I think that's very important in sort of creating uh, spaces that are more welcoming to a wide variety of people. Mm. Um, that the intentions are there, and that um, it is, as you said, made transparent. Um, that you, as like a party host, uh, are accountable to what you set out. Um, I think these are important points to go forward mm. in sort of developing like queer parties.
2: Yeah, and and just to pull a focus again on on like, queer space and queer parties as well with how we try to be as accessible as possible or, like, push forward um, the idea in what we do because it is, it is about us as queers and trans people of colour and trying to have a good night where, like... And, you know, many of us will go out on a good night, like, revving ourselves up, you know, getting ready, like taking photos of each other, uh, praising each other, but also I feel like we have deep inside that inkling that is telling us, like, we still need to prepare ourselves. Even if you're going in a group, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, a preparation of um, having a good night, but also a preparation of, like, protecting yourself and each other.
0: And um, I guess that also links sort of with um, what we heard in the testimony about sort of, Queer spaces in general, whether it is um, like body, bodily, or interpersonal spaces or mm-hmm. uh, physical spaces that are um, sort of dominated in the sense that the authority comes from and uh, come from um, cis queer people mm-hmm. often, and that the, the standards for how um, a space should look like, how mm-hmm. a space is mm-hmm. is intended to be, and how um, yeah, how accessible it is, how um, whether whether sort of unwarranted um, like touching and so on is, is normalized or not, mm. I think is, is has a lot to do with um who the space is sort of directed by. Yeah. And whether it is pr- um safe for like gender non conforming, trans people yeah. um or not. Mm. And sort of I think that that is very similar in terms of um physical protection and sort of how oneself one can be mm. um, in terms of who polices sort of the borders of both the interpersonal and the physical space.
2: Yeah. And you know what I'm just gonna I'm gonna call it out right here and now but places like Dolson Superstore and Vogue Fabrics yes. really really aren't really don't implement that or practice that and they're, they're completely inaccessible as well and that that and that's also like because of the the era of those two queer spaces that are in because of gentrification um that has that has presented a wave of a kind of like be, these spaces being dominated by cis white gay men mostly, but now there's like a second wave of like cis um straight people um from like it, it, and that, that, that's the process of gentrification isn't it it's like the queer um art freaks like popularize an area and then that you know then drag yeah then drag race is there and then all the hipsters are like oh we'll just follow the freaks because that's what we want to be
0: the, the fetishization that it's like it's the freaks the other but simultaneously you want that you want to have you want to be them you want to be- have right. have them possess them almost uh, yeah
2: and that, that entitlement like right. because because i like i would get touched all the time like it, like while i'm behind the bar as well and that's meant to be my safe space but people will literally reach out for me and i i'm quite i'm small in stature as well as as well as a brown person a mixed uh, person as well and so like my body not only is like um, fetishized for my queerness, but also for my race. Um, and I used to be a barback. I've st- started out as a barback, and that's, that's, and that's another level because, like, you're going around picking up glasses and you are constantly being touched. And even, like, y- you know, you're going in there, you're gonna be touching people anyway, but people actually intentionally, like, grope you. Um, and that happened to me all the time. Um, and, yeah, that is. You are literally like animals in a zoo to these people. They don't see you as human. They don't appreciate your humanity. You are li- you are only a performance and not your actual self um, or anything close to human.
0: Yeah, I guess with that also comes the sort of the pressure um, for uh, trans feminine people, especially mm-hmm. as the testimony was saying. Um, to be sort of hyper femme yeah. or um, in, in these spaces as I guess to, to sort of protect oneself mm-hmm. um, yeah the, the, to the same standard that like, cis woman wouldn't be held mm. Um Mm. Yeah, which I guess in itself is sort of um, confining gender again to a binary. Yeah. So,
2: and uh, I'll just give an example of one thing that happened to me actually, and this was at the chateau, but it got dealt dealt with immediately. It was quite a dead night, and this was a group of people. Um, they were on a um, a Hindu, and they had called previously asking um, if they could come, saying that two of the people were lesbians in Hindu, And they called and, the mani- and my manager was like, okay, fair, yeah, no, that, that's fine. It, 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 we weren't expecting to have a particularly busy night, so I was like, okay, that made sense, whatever, we need to pay staff. Um, and so we were, we were prepared for it. Um, and there was this one person who kind of was she, she was just going around um i'm assuming her gender here but that um they were going around um introducing themselves to people uh, to the staff and like to other like, qu- uh, like queers in the venue and we we kind of clocked this and we kind of like okay let's just you know just just be wary whatever and like the night kind of went on and on and it was pretty dead. And I was, like, just sat at the end of the bar, um, minding my own business, just kind of watching the night go by. And then straight up from behind me, she kisses me on the cheek, like, completely unsolicited, completely, like, out of the blue. Um, And so my... um, And because in this space, the chateau, um, because it is a space where we have... Actually, established. and I'm working with people that I trust. The way I, I my reaction wasn't um, deemed like my reaction wasn't deemed um, crazy or uh, like com- like unfair or whatever. Like I, and I, I the way I reacted was literally just like look to her, be like, what the fuck? Um, and she looked at me like shocked, and like said, oh, I'm sorry. And I was just, and like, I was just straight up to her, I was like, no, actually, you need to leave now. And, um, and luckily, like, one of the other, um, people who, who, um, she doesn't work there. Sometimes she does the odd shift, but she was there. She's a regular. She clocked it and she was like, yeah, you need to leave. And just, uh, even more luckily, the security source. So, like, she kind of left without too much, uh, uh, at first, I thought, like, without too much of a, um, You know, of a huff or whatever. But then I found out that actually she complained about us online. And this this is the other thing as well. Straight people have complained about us online after we've kicked them out because of their entitlement to the space. And they don't, and, and, and they only say, oh, because the staff were like angry or whatever. It was like, no, you are harassing people. You are actually physically hurting people here and so and that also creates many problems for us in queer venues and um queer events as well because it's like that we have to then fight algorithms and so like it, it we're just in a very dire situation right now how like 50% of queer venues are being closed down for one one out of all of these venues as well um on on these numbers is owned by a person of color that's horrible this is what London 2019 that's stupid the struggle and need for space and to keep each other safe and like also and like to really kind of like implement practices of consent as well and how we can really try and make that function there is so much that goes against us with that but we're trying (laughs)
0: Uh, I think that's a very powerful note to end on thank you so much Carlos for being here and yeah thank
2: you oh can I just say one more thing so Maricumbia has a party on the 15th of June at the Matchstick Pie House in Deptford. It is wheelchair accessible. Um, it will go on until 1. It's 13-minute walk from Deptford Station and New Cross Station. £5 for early bird tickets and you can get them on OutSavvy.
1: Cool.
2: Thank you.